so my wife is Lauren, uh, and we started dating when we were in college, and we met when we were in high school, and we went to high school together, and it was about the size of like Central Heights, so like everybody knew everybody, um, and we knew each other in high school, uh, didn't really hang out in high school. I, I thought, and I told her this one day when we actually started hanging out, that I thought she was stuck up in high school. Um, it was like just too good for a lot of people. Um, and she's like, really? Are you kidding me? Uh, but anyway, we got over that. Uh, so we knew each other. We knew of each other in high school. We didn't start dating until college. And it was like halfway through college, the summer before my junior year in college. And, uh, and we started hanging out that summer. And so things were still pretty new and fresh, uh, maybe like month in maximum. And so still at that like nervous stage, you know, and uh, where you weren't like fully comfortable with that person. And so we were looking for, I think it was like Father's Day cards or something like that. But we were in the card aisle at the store together. And I was on this end. And Lauren was on that end, like far away from me. Um, and then she started walking toward me. And I got really scared. Let me tell you why I got really scared. Because I had just farted. <laughs> and it smelled horrible. I mean, like, horrible. So I'm, yeah, like Jacob Griffin bad, you know? Like, you, like, there's, like, a wall that you would hit that would, like, knock her down, probably, if she ran into it, you know? And so, immediately, there's this dilemma that I have, right? Because here's, it's a no-win situation for me. It's a lose-lose. Because I let her walk over there and smell that and act like I don't know what's going on. I'm the only one over there. So, it's pretty obvious what just happened. I'm pretty sure that scent's not coming from any of those cards, you know? Um, so I was forced to make a decision. Do I act like I don't know what's going on? And then, so, like, you know, let her just walk into that? Or I thought the most gentlemanly thing to do, the most honorable thing to do as a man, was to protect her and kill my own pride at the same time. So I was like, hey, um, she started coming to me, and she was talking to me, and I was like, nah, I'll come to you. And she's like, what? Wait, what's going on? I was like, just walk with me, quick. And she's like, why? What's happening? She, I was like, I just farted over there, and it smells really bad, and I am so sorry. <laughs> and I know this is new for us, but um, I just, and then I explained. I said, my options were to let you walk into that and act like I didn't know what was going on, and we both knew what was going on, or I could just verbalize it real quick and save you from that. So I figured that was the best option. Um, so that's, uh, we got a lot closer after that. Um, so that was like no-win situation. Maybe you've been in no-win situations before in your life or like it feels like really lose-lose, you know. Um, lots of different things that I think of. Uh, my, one of my wife's uh, pretty regular lose-lose situations in college was like either I stay up and I study for this test or I finish this project or I go to sleep. And we, we both had that lose-lose situation because you stay up and you study, maybe you're more prepared, right? But then you're like tired the rest of the day and you feel horrible. Uh, or you can get some sleep and then not be as, you know, prepared for that test. I always chose studying. Lauren, Lauren always chose sleep. Um, 
but she still probably was smarter than me. So, um, But you think about that, all these different kinds of no-win, lose-lose situations, um, and that's kind of what we're dealing with tonight. This is where we're still continuing with the story of the, the people of Israel. Uh, they uh, had grown in great numbers in Egypt, and then they, the Egyptians got scared, and so they said, let's make them our slaves. Uh, so they make all these people of Israel uh, their slaves. And then, as we talked about last time we were together, through um, these ten miraculous plagues that God sends uh, on Egypt, uh, eventually, at the, the last one, the Passover, um, the Pharaoh decides to let the people go, right? So they, he lets them go, and that's where we left off last week. Um, so the people of, of Israel, they find themselves in, in, in a no-win situation this week as we pick up in the story. They've finally been set free from that slavery to the Egyptians. Uh, God set them free by some miraculous things, like I just said, only to find themselves trapped yet again. Uh, they, they find themselves at the edge of the Red Sea. And again, this is not, I think what tends to happen in my own mind, I think of like the people of Israel and I think of like a group that would fill this church, right? Like that size of group. We're talking like a million people. So lots of people. So when you talk about walking and moving together as a group, it's not like as easy as, hey, let's all go do this. You're talking about lots of people, uh, a big process of moving people, and they get to a point where they're at the Red Sea, and right when they get there, then Pharaoh and his army change their mind again, and they come back to try to kill them. And so they're stuck between this army that wants to kill them and the Red Sea. So it looks like a no-win situation, right? Uh, and that's where we, we find the people of Israel. First, let's, uh, how did they get there? How did they get to that point? So how did they get to this point where they're pinned against the sea and Pharaoh's coming after them? Uh, we're going to pick up in Exodus 13. If you go to Exodus 13, uh, starting in verse 17, that's where we're picking up. Exodus 13, uh, starting in verse 17. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, Let these, lest these people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Uh, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones uh, with you from here. And they moved on and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, did not depart before the people from before the people. Uh, and so to give you a little visual, so pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, God leads his people. Um, if it's during the day, it's, it's a cloud. And so, um, well, I thought I had a visual, I don't. Um, no, oh, maybe I do. Uh, pillar of cloud. So by the day, so see these, these tons of people look something like that. There would just be this big pillar of cloud that is moving, and they would literally just follow that. And then when it got dark at night, um, God was kind enough to make his presence instead of a cloud, fire. Uh, and so this is kind of a picture of, again, this is not just a few people. This is lots and lots, hundreds of thousands of people. And so 
it would stop at certain points where they could rest for the night there, but they would follow this pillar of fire by, the day, by, by night and a pillar of cloud by day, uh, and that's how God was leading them. Um, so God leads his, his people. He's leading his people. Uh, he leads them away from the Philistines, it even says at the beginning. It says uh, the Philistines were close, and they could have gone that way, um, but God said... I don't want the people to get scared and see war with these Philistines and then that make them want to just go back to Egypt. So I'm going to lead them around that um, and around these people in a different direction through the wilderness. And so he's looking out for them. He's even looking out for them in ways that they don't even see, right? He's protecting them from things that they don't even, that they don't even see. He led them away from the Philistines. Uh, yet he leads them to the edge of the Red Sea. He's the one that leads them. So it's not just like they're wandering around. They, God freed them in these miraculous ways, and then they just end up in this spot. This is where God led them. He specifically led them to this spot. And so there's a, there's a few things I want to pull out right here for you. Uh, one, that, 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 that these things that, you know, that apply to you specifically now. Like this, in this picture of God constantly leading his people he wants to lead you, his people. If you follow him, if you've trusted in him, he wants to lead you, and he is leading you. If you choose to acknowledge it, if you choose to follow, that's up to you, right? And as much as a pillar of cloud moving in the day and a pillar of fire at night, like you can just walk behind that, right? And that's very visible. And they had something to like literally follow God. He was leading them different places, and, and the same is true for you today. You don't have a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire, but you have the Holy Spirit. If you have trusted in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And three of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of things that are wrong that you should stay away from, to direct you and give you guidance into truth and to the things that are good, and to empower you to do those things. And so he, as much as he was with the people of Israel in the form of a cloud or a form of fire, and it is said that he never departed from them. He's with you today in the Holy Spirit, living in you if you've trusted in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is there to guide you and to direct you and to convict you of things that are wrong. And he is leading you. And I would even say, like, like in this example, sometimes he probably leads you away from things that you don't even know he's protecting you from. Like that boy you're praying like, oh gosh, I just want to be dating him. He's probably like, no, you don't, trust me. That dude is messed up. I'm gonna protect you from that and I'm gonna take you over here, this direction. Uh, he's probably protecting you and leading you other directions than, than some of the things that you think are best for you. But the point being, God leads his people. He led him then and he leads you now. He leads me now. He goes before his people and he shows them where to go. That doesn't change. He's constantly going before his people and showing them where to go, if you'll pay attention to that. He's always with them. He's always looking out for them. He's always leading them. God will lead you if you let him. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to direct you toward the best path for you to travel down. His goal is that he would lead you and guide you toward the best path path that you could travel on, the best one. Now here's where it gets difficult, right? 
Because even though he wants you to go down the best path that he has for you, here's my second main point from tonight from this section of scripture. God often leads his people to the best, best path, but also that, that best path can be the hardest and the most painful one. So he will lead you down the best path. He will point you to the best path. He wants you to go down the best path. But that one is oftentimes the most painful, the hardest, uh, and not necessarily the one that you would choose. Because I, I could bet, like the people of Israel, if God pitches this plan to them, hey, I'm going to pin you against the Red Sea and then have an, an army come attack you, try to kill you. How do you, you think that's a good plan? You think that's how we should do it? I'm pretty sure most of them would be like, uh, no. How about let's, let's just, well, just let us escape and just get away, right, without having them pursue us. Because look at this, Exodus 14, you go to Exodus 14, 4, and you can see this in Exodus 14, 4 and in verse 8. It says, and I, the I being God, God speaking, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and over all, of ho- all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And then you go down to verse 8, and it says, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So what made Pharaoh go after the people? What made Pharaoh go after the people of Israel? God. It says that God hardened his heart. So if I read this correctly, and I think I am, it's saying that God is the one who not only led them to this point right before the Red Sea where they're kind of trapped, but he also is the one who had the army come on the other side of them and caused that to happen. This isn't Satan that made it happen. This isn't something of their own stupid decisions and they were just wandering their own way. They were literally following God by a cloud or by fire every day and they, they followed exactly where he led them. And he led them to this place where they are trapped and it looks like a no-win situation. Pharaoh's army, probably the biggest army at that time, bearing down on them where they can see them probably coming from a far distance off over the hill and they look back and there's nothing but water behind them and they're like, what the heck? I'm sure there's a lot of fear. I'm sure they feel trapped. They don't feel like God is in control. Read verses 10 through 12. This is, this is their reaction to that. Verse 10, it says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that we would have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And so they're afraid and they're like, man, this is, why, why, did we, why were we set free? Just to come out here and die? And so they don't feel like, when I read that, it's not a bunch of people that feel like, man, I'm following God perfectly and my life is going well and we've got it all together and God knows what he's doing and he's in control and this is awesome. They're, they're scared. They're, they're doubting what God is doing. They're doubting that he's in control at all. And yet they were still following him the whole time. They were following him the whole time and he led them to this place. And so that's probably why they feel so frustrated, like, we are following you, and this is where you lead us. 
So yes, God wants to lead you. And he wants to lead you down the best path possible for your life. But the best path isn't always the easiest one. It isn't always the most comfortable one. Isn't one, isn't one that you would necessarily choose yourself a lot of the time. Because if God is in control of everything, and I believe that he is, he very easily could have just said, okay, after all these plagues that just happened, I'm going to set you free from the people of Egypt, and you could just get out of here. So why go the extra length that he does to change Pharaoh's heart, to harden it, to make him go after the people? Why do it that way? What's the point of that? Well, thankfully, Scripture tells us the point. If you read verse 4 again, if we read verses 17 through 18 uh, and verse 30, verse 4 says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And then this next part is the why. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And if you go down to 17, uh, verses 17 and 18, it says, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And then God says, And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And if you go to verse 30, it says, The Lord saved Israel that day from the, or verse, uh, verse 31, sorry. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. So why go about all that? Because in this way, in the way that he does it, in the, in the path that he sets them on, it's a way that, show, that he gets to show his power, he gets to show who he is. And, and the whole goal of him that God's trying to accomplish here is that more people would know him. That more people would know him. I think this is, that's the why. God wants people to know him and give him glory, the glory that only he deserves above all else. Above all else, the, the, the number one goal of God, I think, is for people to know him and to give him the glory that he deserves. And so sometimes, in order to achieve more of that goal, he's willing to put some of us individually in painful places. Does that make sense? That he would be willing to put the people of Israel in a painful, scary spot because he knows in the end of this that it's going to cause more people to know him. It's going to cause more people to know him. It's going to cause more people to believe in him and to trust in him. It's, it's, it's better for him. It's better, it's better for us. Because the way that we're designed is to know him and to love him. That's when you are most fulfilled. When you know God and you love him and you follow him and you serve him and you trust in him, that's when you have the most peace and you are most fulfilled in your life. And so if he can show more people in, in his power in a way and who he is in a way that they would know him and they would trust him and they would believe in him, then that's far better for all those people, even if it, if he, even if it means some of those people have to go through a temporary time of, of pain and unknown and like, I don't know what's going to happen. He's willing to put his people through that. He's willing to put you through that, through a time of unknown, scary, painful things if it will make him known by more people. Because that's better for everybody. His plans are so much bigger than just my life. 
When I think about life, I think about me and how things affect me. Naturally, that's how all of us are. We think about ourselves first and foremost. And when I think about just my world, I get a small, small view of God. God is about changing people's lives universally. That's, that's one of the reasons I think you should seriously consider going to Poland with Joe this summer. It will make you have a bigger view of who God is because you will see him move in a different country and not be limited by a language, not be limited by a culture. And when you're a part of that and you see that, you can't help but have a bigger view of God. God is about changing people's hearts universally. And so he's willing to put the Israelites, the people of Israel, through some pain so that more Egyptians would know who God is. He'd be willing to put your life in more pain if it's going to let somebody else know Christ more. And I was thinking about that today as I was studying this. I've shared with lots of you uh, from the front here the first week and then even more of the difference this weekend uh, about Lauren being really anxious lately and having a lot of anxiety that she's battling. And I thought about that, and my immediate thought is like, Satan's just doing that and attacking her, which could be true. Or maybe God's doing that and giving her some of that so that when I ask you to pray for me, I feel closer to you, I feel closer to God because I feel God moving through you. When I ask you to pray for me, when I, when I tell you real things about my life, that you feel closer to me. And you, and you begin to trust God more. If, if this is something that would just cause more people to trust in him, then he's willing to put us through a time of pain and unknown and frustration if we're just going to know him better. And more people are going to know him better. He's okay with that. Because in the long run, that is better for all of us. If it causes us to trust in him more. I was studying in Colossians with a, with a few guys this week, uh, and, and it made me think of this verse, Colossians 1.18. Uh, really, a couple of verses in Colossians, actually. I don't need those anyway. Uh, Colossians 1.15 through 18, this is all about Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, in this last part, that in everything he might be preeminent. That in everything he might be preeminent, he might be first. That in everything he might be surpassing all others, that he might be the most important in everything. So what that's saying is Jesus is in the one, he's the one that makes everything hold together. And the whole point of this life, the whole point of my life, and this is what I was talking about with these guys I was meeting with this week, and that, that we were praying for, for each other, that in my life, that he would be preeminent, that he would be first in my life, that he would be the most important in my life, that he would be above everything else in my life. And not only does that honor him and give him the glory that he deserves, but that makes my life better. That God will do what it takes for people to have a right understanding of him. He wanted the Egyptians to know that he is the Lord. 
Because even the way that he words this, he says, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts and, and the Egyptians. It, it's like, and if you read more of the story and you hear more about Pharaoh, you can tell that Pharaoh had this idea that he is God himself. That he is the most important, he has the biggest army, he has all these things, and he is the best. And so God is willing to, you could put it this way, willing to flex a little bit and show Pharaoh who the biggest actually is. So that he has a right understanding of, of who God is. So, so ask yourself that question. Are you making God first in your life right now? Are you making him first? And if you're not, is he trying to get your attention somehow to show you that you're not? Could he be trying to get your attention with some of the stuff going on in your life because you're not making him first? He will fight to make sure he's first in our lives. Sometimes even when it causes you pain temporarily because he knows it's better for you in the long run. And then the last thing, God is always capable of saving his people even from the most hopeless situations. God is always capable of saving his people from even the most hopeless of situations. He's mighty to save like that song goes that probably all of you have sang sometime in your life. Exodus 14 Verses 13 and 14. It says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And then verse 30. It says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Uh, again, let me give you another visual of this. We have a, like, just a short video. Some of you have probably seen this movie. This is like still one of my favorite movies of the depiction of Exodus and everything that goes on in Exodus. But watch this clip, and then we'll wrap it up. So what does God do to save his people? He, he parts the Red Sea so they can walk through, and then when Pharaoh and his men try to chase them, he closes the water on them, right? Pretty popular. You've heard, of it, heard it before, I'm sure. Um, but that's one, of the, well, that's one of the things that I think about. Like, Since God chose to do it this way, that's one of the most famous children's stories that you learn about growing up. You know it because it's so crazy, because it's so powerful, because it's so out of the ordinary, and it's not just them escaping from Egypt and just kind of walking in an easy path. The reason you know it is because it was so difficult and so crazy, and that shows more of who God is, and it, it makes him known, like we were just singing earlier. It would make him known. And so he will let you walk through things that are painful, and I'm not just talking about things that you do because you make stupid decisions and then you get in the position that you're in. I'm talking about even when you're following him well, and then you find yourself in a spot that's really tough. He will allow that kind of stuff to happen, but he's always capable of saving his people from the most hopeless situations. The Lord fights for his people says that several times in, this, in the course of, of these verses. Uh, again, in verse 13 and 14, it says, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. 
And then it says again in verse 25, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The Lord wants to fight for you. Whatever hopeless situation you're in the middle of right now in your life, that thing that feels like a no-win situation, hopefully it's a little bit more, I mean, it's probably a little more drastic than me in the card aisle with Lauren, you know? Uh, I mean, that was pretty drastic for a little while. But whatever hopeless situation that you were in, the Lord wants to fight for you. He fights for his people. And the truth is, he's really the only one powerful enough to save us. Salvation is from him, from his work alone. You are not enough to get yourself out of the situation you find yourself trapped in. You are not enough to get you out of your loneliness or your depression. You are not enough to get you out of your bad breakup. You are not enough to get you out of your parents being split right now. You are not enough to get you out of drugs and alcohol. You are not enough to get you out of partying all the time. You're not enough to get you out of being addicted to pornography. You're not enough to get you out of whatever it may be. You are not enough. You can't fight your own way out of it. Let the Lord fight for you. That's what some of these these verses are saying. Let the Lord fight for you. So how do you let him fight for you? Pray to him regularly. Cry out to him regularly. That's how you can help him fight. Have him help you fight. How else do you let the Lord fight for you? Actually follow his path and his plans, plans for once instead of just going your own way. You know what that's like when you say, God, like, I just want out of this, and he shows you, like, some things that you could change, but you're like, no, I don't want to do it that way. Like, just go his way once for a change. Try to do it his way instead of trying to find your, fight your own way out. How else can you let the Lord fight for you? Pick up a Bible and read it. There is so much truth in here that will help you out of these things. The truth of who God is, how big he is, that he is the God that saves you out of hopeless situations that don't seem like there could be any change ever. There's no such thing as a hopeless situation with the God that we serve. Nothing. I'm not trying to diminish the way that you feel in the middle of whatever it is that you're going on, but I'm just telling you truth. The truth is, no matter what, feels, what, what it is that makes you feel trapped, He can save you from that. He wants to save you from that. And again, here's the, here's the connection to the New Testament like we do every time. Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five, verses six through eight. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to read the New Living Translation, too, because I like that version. It says, when we were utterly helpless, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were utterly helpless, we talked a lot about Ephesians this weekend at The Difference, and Ephesians chapter two talks all about how we were dead in our trespasses and sin. That in sin, we are dead. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing more helpless than that. 
dead where you can't do anything for yourself. And Christ made us alive. So at our most helpless spot where we are dead without Christ, more helpless than any Egyptians or any people of Israel with the Egyptians coming after them and and the Red Sea on the other side of them, far more helpless than that, we were already dead. In our most helpless point, Christ came so that he could make us alive, so that we still have hope in him. That is who God is. If you are in the midst of a hopeless situation, it is not hopeless because of him. There's no such thing as a no-win or a hopeless situation with the God that we serve. And so whatever it is you find yourself in the middle of, some of them I know specifically, a lot of you shared them this weekend. God wants to save you from that. He wants you to walk after him, follow him, and it's not gonna be easy, and a lot of times it'll put you in tougher spots. But if you know him better on the other side of it, it's far worth, it's, it's worth it. 